Well, good morning. So um, I went kind of calm today. I thought about lights for my sweater, and then I went back and watched the video from last week with that green coat on. And can I just say I'm sorry? I don't know how y'all even listened to a thing I said. That was bad. Um, so anyway, uh, we're kind of a little more calm today. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, uh, you know, Caleb said first service, he said, I can see why they call sweater sweater because it's hot in here with everybody uh, wearing these. So uh, glad you guys are here today. We, we got a good service planned. Um, before we jump in, I wanted to give you an update on our Christmas offering. So every year here at Cornerstone, we take up a special offering. We use it to uh, really to give back. And uh, we, you know, Christ gave so much to us. We want to take the first offering at Christmas and give back to him. Uh, we've used it for a lot of different things over the years. This year, um, we're using it to kind of free up some money and resources so we can do more ministry in our community. And we're going to use it to pay down our mortgage because we have to refinance. And uh, let's just say interest rates have gone up a little bit. We don't like interest, so we want to pay down uh, the debt as much as we can. Um, so far, as of last Sunday, our total is $11,800. So that's pretty cool. Um, we've got three more weeks to go on that, uh, and so we'll see that. I want to see that continue to rise, and uh, I just want to thank you in advance for being generous, um, because this really does help us and help us make a difference right here in Galax. Um, and so, uh, and, and not just that, just your normal everyday week-to-week giving that supports the ministry that we do here. We don't pass a plate, we do have offering boxes by either door. And you guys have been awesome at just supporting what we do, and just I want to thank you for that. Uh, you can even still see some Christmas presents over back there from our giving tree. Uh, we had the first uh, date for people to come by and pick those up. Uh, we're going to do a second one this week. Um, that's gone really well. So we had a, a right around 200 gifts for kids in our school systems. Uh, so that really is just amazing that we were able to do that as well on top of everything else. So... Uh, just thank you for that. So, uh, jumping in this morning, I want to do some trivia. I've been doing trivia each Sunday with you guys, um, and we'll kind of jump in and talk about some ugly sweater trivia. Um, just, I know you're dying to know more about ugly sweaters. Um, so, ugly sweater, or I should say Christmas sweater, started becoming popular in the 50s. <laughs> Uh, because people were wearing them on TV. They were called Jingle Bell sweaters. Um, I don't remember that. Um, I'm not that old. Uh, but um, they were never really intended to be ugly. They were just artistic, right? Um, and then they kind of died down for a few decades. And back in the 80s, they started becoming more popular. And you saw uh, on the Cosby show wearing them. And then movies like Christmas Vacation started making them popular. Uh, and then in the 2000s, it really started picking up steam, and they started having ugly Christmas sweater parties. Um, and so this became a thing. And then social media got a hold of it, and it started blowing up. And you start seeing it trend on social media. And uh, there's even a official national day to wear your ugly sweater on the third Friday of December. Uh, so, wow. Um, it, it's just... And, and, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that it started as a joke, right? Uh, because, and then it's just grown to now, like every store you go into has ugly Christmas sweaters. And I can tell y'all found a lot of them. 
Um, and so I'll try not to be distracted up here today. Um, and so, but it, it, in all seriousness, it's, 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 it's kind of neat. Uh, and it, just to see uh, all, all the, all the, the d- different designs and the funny. I found one I, I, I thought was kind of funny at first. It looked cool. And then I realized it was Santa getting drunk. And I'm like, that's not an appropriate one to wear. And so you do have trouble finding appropriate ones sometimes. Um, but anyway. Um, next week, we're excited about that. We'll have a place for you, uh, like a photo booth, to take pictures with your family. So you can either dress up or coordinate, but have fun with that too. And uh, I hope you're excited about that and, be, and that you will invite some people to join us. We're in this series called Make Room. And it, in the busyness of the Christmas season, it, get, it, it gets so chaotic. We talked about that last week, how we need to make room for peace. And, uh, but we really... Uh, we just need to, to slow down and think about what's important. Traditionally, churches have taken four weeks, uh, it's called Advent, to, to lead up into Christmas. And you'll see churches talk about things like hope and peace and joy and love. And so we wanted to take some time this year to really investigate those words a little deeper, to learn more about it, to, 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 to grow in our understanding understanding of what that means in our life. And so uh, we really want to talk about each of those things and how we can make room. And this morning we want to zero in on joy. So what is joy? I think far too often in our life we settle for happiness instead of joy. I think we get, we, we just assume that happiness is as good as it's going to get and we miss out on joy. Joy is something that lasts while happiness is short-lived. Joy is something that springs from within, while happiness is based on external circumstances. Joy is is accompanied by contentment and and confidence, while happiness is fleeting. And and so when you think about that, I, I, I feel like we need to really understand what joy is. Now, when it uh, when it comes to Christmas, and, and you think of the, and I tell you that Christmas is almost here, right? What are we, like eight days away from Christmas, something like that, right now? Uh, it's going to be here before you know. What emotion do you feel? What emotion kind of immediately springs to mind? I, I'll tell you a few and see if you relate to any of these. For some of you in this room, it's panic, right? Do any of y'all feel panic? Like, it's eight days away. How in the world am I going to get everything done that I got to get done before Christmas? Because I still got all this stuff to do and all this stuff to buy and all these places to be. So some of y'all are panicking already. Some of you, though, um, are experiencing frustration. Um, you're just to the point where you're like, there's too much to do. I'm just, I just want to stay home. I just, why did I agree to do anything? You, you, you're at that point, right? And, and that kind of leads into the, another emotion, regret. I think some people have regret at this point where you're like, why did I invite my family to come eat? <laughs> now I've got to spend all this time cleaning up and cooking and preparing. And, you know, you're, you're like, why in the world? You're, you're having glimpses of family or Christmas vacation, right, uh, happening at your house. Um, and then some of you are like just experiencing feelings of envy. You're like, man, everybody else's home looks like it's straight out of a Hallmark movie, and mine looks like um, 
not that, right? It's like, um, I haven't even done anything. Um, so I think for a lot of people, those emotions are what rise to the top. I, I would say for most people, joy is not one of the emotions that we immediately go to and say, I'm so joyful, it's Christmas. Now, you may like Christmas mu- music, you, you may like Christmas decorations, but when it comes to all the stuff surrounding Christmas, I feel like we miss out on joy a lot. Because we struggle with all these emotions that compete in our minds. And, and then, it, then it starts affecting our behavior because we're, we're overwhelmed and because we're frustrated and because we have regret. Then we start getting grumpy and then we start getting... It, just, it, it starts affecting not just us, but all the people around us. But joy is the one emotion that I feel like we need to really deeply experience at Christmas. It should be the one that defines our behavior. It should be the one that when people look at us, they say, you are a joyful person. Advent is celebrating that God is with us. I mean, that, that in and of itself should be enough to, to, to overwhelm any other emotion that we have. And, and just think about this. Like when a, when a newborn baby is, is born, right? Uh, what do you do? There's birth announcements. There's people you start telling. There's social media posts. And there's all this joy surrounding it, right? Because we're excited because a baby is born. How much more should we be excited for the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to be born, right? Compared to just a normal birth, right? We should be, I mean, we'll tell people we don't even know when we have a baby, Right, and, and when we comes to the Savior of the world being born, we should have joy. In fact, the angels told us that in Luke chapter 2. The angels reassured them and said, don't be afraid. Right? And, and I would just, as a side note, like when angels show up in the Bible, they're scary. They're not your little precious moments, memories, figurines that show up. Um, and, and so they have to tell people, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And what I, when I read that, right, uh, it'll bring great joy to who? All people. That tells me that the deep joy that we experience at Christmas is not just meant for us. It's meant for us to share. And so each week, what we've been doing, we've been digging a little deeper into what these words mean. The the hope and the peace and today the joy and love next week. And uh, we've been doing a little bit of a a biblical word study on them with the help of videos from the Bible Project. And so there's a a video I want to show this week that kind of explains what biblical joy really is. And I think it's going to lay the foundation, the groundwork for us, so we can kind of go through the message this morning. So let's watch that together. Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. 
Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. So I think those videos have been helpful in kind of explaining what these words mean. And a few of the things I pulled from that one. One is our joy is not based on our current struggles, but on our future destination. Right? Our future destiny. I think that that one 
really stood out to me. Another one he said is joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of their happy circumstances, but because of their hope and God's love and his promise. And then finally he said Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope and the power of Jesus' own life and love. And so all those things, that kind of gives us a better understanding that our joy uh, is so much more than just what's happening around us. We, we tend to think of our, well, something good happens, I'm joyful. Something bad happens, I'm sad. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy comes from within. Biblical joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on where we're going, on who God is and what he's done in our life. So now that we've got that kind of, uh, we've got that, that understanding, let's kind of jump in to the message this morning. I've got a few points I want to share with you. And here's the first one. We live in a world where people are looking, they're searching, they're seeking answers. It's interesting um, that so many people, they may not even know anything about God, but they're looking to make sense of life. I don't know if you've ever been uh, behind the scenes at a concert or a play, but going behind the scenes, it kind of gives you a, a different perspective of what's going on. You get to see what's about to happen, and you kind of know the plan and the schedule and uh, all that stuff going on about the performance. I would say prophecies in the Bible are kind of like that. They give us a behind-the-scenes look um, and, and kind of tell us what's about to come next. They kind of let us know, they give us a little more insight into who Jesus is. And so the Christmas story is a fulfillment of so many prophecies that foretell the birth of our Savior. And so in Micah, we learn that Jesus would be born in this little town called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is in the, really the, the kind of the middle of nowhere, even especially then. And, and, and so this was unexpected. In Isaiah, we learn that Jesus would be born uh, a king in the line from the line of David, and, and that a child that a, a child would be born of a virgin, in Isaiah seven fourteen. But one of the more obscure prophecies uh, is in the Psalms, and it has to do with gifts being brought to the the king. It has to be. It has to do with. People traveling, seeking, searching from a distant land. In Psalm 72, it says the western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. And so over 2,000 years ago, there was a whole lot going on behind the scenes uh, during the Christmas story. And you know the, the Christmas story. I won't rehash the whole thing. Baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then we see um, some new characters kind of show up. The Magi, the wise men. Um, and let's read about that. And, and Matthew chapter 2 is where we find their account. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. I don't think any like Christmas play is complete without wise men, right? Uh, without the magi. And, 
And, and so there's some things that I would kind of argue a little bit with about our traditional Christmas stories. Nowhere does it say there are three wise men. We have three gifts, but we don't know how many wise men there were. And I would say, uh, since they were traveling such a long distance, they were bringing such expensive gifts, I have a feeling it was a pretty large contingent of people that were traveling together. Uh, we just kind of traditionally said there's three gifts, there's three people. But I think there's probably more to that. But biblical scholars would agree that these guys have traveled a long ways, up to uh, upwards of probably 800 miles. Now, again, 800 miles in today's time is like, well, that's a, that's a lot of driving or, or flying, but you can do it. But in first century, that's a long ways. We're talking months, right? We're talking months of travel. And think of all the food you would have to gather and all the preparations you would have to make. And this is not just like, hey, let's drive down to Winston and eat supper tonight, right? That's not what this is like. This is like a big deal. And it amazes me how far they traveled to worship this newborn king and how they recognized the star that led them there. Now, they did ask a question, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? This shows that they had an understanding of biblical prophecy. This shows that they were not coming into this completely blind. Now, how did they know? Now, my opinion is that many centuries prior, Daniel was in Babylon. And if you read the story in Daniel chapter 2, he was in charge of the wise men, the magi, so to speak, uh, of Babylon and Persia there. And so what we see is there's several uh, empires rose and fall since that time, but I believe he planted the seeds. I believe that while he was there, uh, and we see how Daniel was faithful to pray and, and, and spend time with God, and I, I can't help but believe that he told the people there about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can't help but think that he would tell them of the prophecies about the Messiah that would come one day. And so century after century, these people were looking on the horizon, waiting, looking, seeking a sign. And even though they didn't really know uh, the, God of the, uh, the God of Israel, they knew that they were missing something. They were seeking and longing for something to make sense of their world. And, I, and I'll just say, I feel like we're in that same period today. I feel like um, we are looking and seeking and, and people are hungry to know the truth. If we keep reading the story in Matthew 2, it says, After they met with Herod, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. First thing we see, they, they, were, just, they were overwhelmed with joy because they found what they were looking for. And the star miraculously had led them right to Jesus. You keep going Verse 11, they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they, they opened up their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, I've talked before in years past about the significance of those gifts. I'll I, I kind of skip over that today just due to time. But here's what I want you to know. 
when they came, they were looking, they were seeking, they were searching for answers, and they found Jesus. Now, during that time, the Romans, uh, the, the kind of the, the whole culture was uh, anticipating something big about to happen. The, the, the Roman historian Suetonius, he wrote about the time of Christ, and he said this, There had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. So the Romans were looking for a ruler, and that, that was the kind of the legend had it that somebody's going to come out of this region to rule the world. Another Roman historian, Tacitus, he wrote that there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was going to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that it was about the time of Christ's birth that the Jews believed that one from their country would soon become ruler of the habitable earth. Right, uh, And they were looking for someone to make sense of this world. And I can't help but think the wise men knew about all of this. They were looking. They were waiting. They were watching. They were seeking. Can I tell you that wise people today are still waiting and searching and looking for answers? There are people all around us in this world that... Just know that this world, is it doesn't make sense. There are things that happen that we can't explain. I'm just telling you, when you wake up and you see the sunrise in the morning or the sunset at night, and, and you see how beautiful this world, this creation is all around us, you can't help but think, how did this get here? Blaise Pascal, he's a famous French mathematician. Uh, also kind of a theologian, he said this. He, he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. It's a God-shaped vacuum. And I, I believe that. I, I feel like so many people are searching and looking and hoping, and they're trying to fill that longing with things from this world. They're trying to fill it with material things. We see that at Christmas. There's a longing for spirituality. There's a longing to know more about God. And, and people try to, to, to fill that God-shaped vacuum with whether it's with addictions or whether it's with material things. Or, we try to fill that longing that each of us feel in, in so many different ways. Um, have you ever lost something of value? Have you ever lost your car keys or your wallet or a ring or something like that? When you lose something, what do you do? When you know something is missing, you search for it. You, you go all in. You will stop everything else you're doing and hunt for it until you find it. Why? Because you know it's something of value. You know it's important. You know you need it. Can I just say, in this world we live in, we need God. We all do. That's the longing. That's the desire. That's the seeking. That's the searching that I'm talking about. William Lane Craig said this. He said, if you're sincerely seeking God, God will make his existence evident to you. 
I saw a recent study by the Pew Research Study, which is kind of a religious group that studies things, and they said about a quarter, 27% of U.S. adults now say they think of themselves as spiritual but not religious. What does that tell you? That, that says that almost, almost one in three people will say that they're searching for something. They're spiritual. They don't really want anything to do with church, maybe, perhaps. Right? They don't want religion, but they're spiritual. They're, they're looking for answers. Can I just tell you, I think we have what they're looking for. We have what they need, and it's our responsibility then to, to share that. It's our responsibility to share that. But before we can share it, we've got to find it for ourselves. And that brings me to my next point. If we want to make room for joy this Christmas, we've got to continue to seek Jesus. We've got to make this a daily part of our life where we seek after God. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. I don't know if you've ever read it, kind of a Christian classic now that I would call it. Uh, he was talking about how the Christian life doesn't end with salvation. It's not like we're saved and that's it. No. Uh, he says to have found God and still pursue Him is the soul's paradox. And yet the problem for so many Christians, according to Tozer, is that they have come to a right understanding of God and, but yet they don't experience God. So they kind of deduce who he is. He says, to most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate, but he remains personally unknown to them. In other words, they've got to the point mentally where they say, oh, there is a God, I know about God, but they don't really know God. They don't have that experience with him. They don't have that relationship with him. And so he talks about why do so many people stop seeking God once they come to faith. He says that we must make God the Lord of our entire lives, not just the Lord of a certain moment to which we attribute our salvation, not just to that hour or two a week we spend in church, not just uh, to a sphere of religion apart from our work and our family and our hobbies, Rather, for him, he said, the pursuit of God is to indwell our entire life, and we are to continue to strive to not only know of God, but to experience him as well. And can I just say that, that this is so important that we learn what it looks like to seek after God. Throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, we see this theme over and over and over again. Let me kind of take you on a quick tour of this. Deuteronomy 4 uh, says this, but from you... Uh, from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for, for Him with all of your heart and soul, you will find Him. You search, you'll find Him. First Chronicles 16, search for the Lord and for His strength, continually seek Him. I'll keep going, First Chronicles 28. Uh, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve Him with your whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord sees every heart. He knows every plan and thought. If you seek Him, you will find Him. Psalm 27, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. In Matthew 6, from the Sermon on the Mount, in the New Testament, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. 
and he will give you everything you need. Luke 11, and so I tell you, keep on asking. You will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. So what we see throughout Scripture is this idea, if you are serious about seeking God, He will reveal Himself to you. And, and we're to the, we're kind of have this mindset, I wish God would make it clear for me what I need to do or where I need to go. I wish I had a star that led me to the exact place I need to be. We, we think that, right? We kind of want it written out clear in the sky for us of what to do. Can I tell you, we have something even better than a star. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to seek after God. Jesus promised in John 16 that he would send us a helper. He, he called this person the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth and will declare to us the things that are to come. We have, we have something better than the star. We have the spirit living inside of us that will lead us exactly where we need to go. How do we do it? We trust him. We seek him. We spend time with Him. We, 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 learn, we get in this rhythm of walking with God and seeking after God. It's not like you come to faith and then forget about Him. That's not what the Christian life is. So when we look at this story and we read the story about the wise men, let it be a reminder to us that they were looking for Jesus. They were seeking Him. And we can't forget to do the same thing. And, and I'll just say this too. Remember, we, we seek Jesus not for what we can get from Him, right? But just to be with Him. The wise men didn't come to Jesus so they could get stuff from Jesus. They brought gifts to Him. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this. He said, seek not an experience. But seek Him. Seek to know Him. Seek to realize His presence. Seek to love Him. Seek to die to yourself and everything else that you may live entirely in Him and for Him and give yourself entirely to Him. If He is at the center, you will be safe. But if you are simply seeking an experience, if you are looking for thrills and excitement, then you are opening the door to the counterfeit and you probably will receive it. Seek not an experience, but seek Him. And so seeking Jesus, just pursuing Jesus, that's our life as a believer. And once we do that, we'll find the joy that we need. But that leads me to my final point. That joy then, our joy leads us to make room for others who are seeking Jesus. John 17 says, this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. What Jesus is telling us is that when we continue to seek him, right, that, that's the most important thing that our minds can entertain is who God is and why he came. Can I just challenge you a little bit this morning? And all the business of Christmas, all the craziness, all the chaos we've talked about, don't lose the wonder of people seeking and experiencing and finding Jesus for the first time. Don't lose the wonder of that. I, I think it's easy just to kind of gloss over that and, and just, just get so consumed with us and what our Christmas traditions that we forget that He came. We forget that people are seeking Jesus all around us and searching for answers. 
the story in Matthew, what it does, it reveals that God makes room for those who seek Him. And, and for one special event in history, the God who rules the heaven, He chose to reveal Himself to a group of people from a distant land and, and, and show Himself in such a way that they came to experience the Messiah. And can I just say, even today, God reveals Himself to people who are far away from Him. Think about the community we live in. Think about the people you encounter on a daily basis. There are people that you meet, that you encounter, that are, let's just, we'll say it nice, they're far from God. They don't know anything about God. They don't, they just, they, they don't live their life in a way that honors God. Can I tell you that many of those people are seeking and searching, but they're looking in the wrong place for their answers. They're trying to find their hope and their joy and their meaning and their fulfillment and things that will never give them what they are looking for. And, and so what, you know, how will we respond when those people show up in our life? Will we tell them, oh, I'm sorry, you're too far gone. <laughs> you don't look the part. You aren't dressed right. You don't say the right things. Or will we invite them? Will we make room at God's table for them? I'm telling you, people are messy, but if they are seeking, we've got to be patient with them. We need to share the hope and the joy and the love and the peace that we have with them. 1 Peter 3 says this. It says that we must worship Christ as the Lord of our life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready. And I'll just tell you this. Even the most lost and pagan people in the world... They may respond to Jesus if they are given the opportunity. Don't count them out. That's why we pray for the lost. That's why we invite. That's why we still do uh, ministry and, and we reach out to our community and we, we serve and we go to the places where people are because we know that they need Jesus. We found them and we want to share that hope, that love with, with them as well. Um. In Luke 15, I want you just to think about this, this, this passage here, this famous passage. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So the Advent season, if we want to focus on joy, we can't forget there are people all around us that need Jesus. There are people all around us instead of getting so caught up in what we are doing in our world, let's start thinking about how we can reach out and serve and share and love the others around us. So who are you going to reach out to? How can you share your joy? Uh, just think about that this, this Christmas season. You've got to make room for what's most important. And if you don't have that joy we're talking about, God is an extended, he, he's extending an invitation to you today to accept his free gift of salvation. 
Here at Christmas, what better time to receive the greatest gift of all time? In Ephesians 2, it says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation, it's not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. And so today, guys, I I just want to extend to you that invitation. First, do you have the joy that comes from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And secondly, if you do, are you willing to share that with others? Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. Each and every week as we dig deeper, we just continue to learn more about who you are and how much you love us. Lord, I, I just thank you for revealing to us through the Holy Spirit what it looks like to live a life that pleases you. Lord, help us to be joyful people. As Christians, we should be more joyful than anyone else because we know, we have, we know the source of joy. We know our future destination. We know uh, that no matter what we go through, we have the hope of eternity that holds us and keeps us and, and keeps us strong. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share that with others around us. And, Lord, finally, I pray for those listening either online or here today that maybe are uncertain, that maybe are missing out on joy. Maybe their life is controlled by fear instead of joy, Uh, fear of the unknown. Would today, would you help them just to, 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 to know that they, their life can be forever changed by accepting that free gift of salvation. Your word tells us that the free gift of God is salvation. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart, God, that you raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. So right now, Lord, I just want to extend that invitation to anybody here, anybody listening, that they can know Jesus. Not just know about Jesus, but they can know him and that he can change their life. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I pray that we could just cry out, call out to you, put our faith and our trust in you. And because of that, we can live with the joy that you could only give us. Lord, we thank you for church this morning. And we pray for this upcoming week and leading up into Christmas that we can make much of Jesus. We can make room for Jesus. And we can make room for others who are seeking Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus I pray today. Amen.